Would you turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy? If you're wondering about Deuteronomy, um, gosh, this is, this is the first time I've preached from Deuteronomy here at the River Church, as far as I as, as far as I remember. Um, but I want to I want to turn to a passage that, as we read it today, it'll probably sound somewhat familiar to you. Um, some of it might not be, and that's okay. But we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter six uh, today. Uh, so turn there with me, and we'll we'll read that in a moment. Um, but before we do, do you remember um, that moment when you discovered? Let's see, I've got four fathers here, um, and so you, the mothers and others of you can kind of. Uh, live vicariously through this question. But do you remember the moment that you discovered you were going to be a daddy? When you got that news? In fact, I was thinking about that and I thought, I really should have talked with Cheryl about this. I probably should have asked her about that, about the scenario. I'm going to move up closer. And, and to re so I could jog my memory because it was um, 17 and a half some odd years ago when I first discovered that we were going to have a little baby and that I was going to be a daddy, and and I was think, and I I just kind of remember thinking, wow, it happened, uh, just like they said it would. If we if we did this, then that would ha that would result, and and um, and uh, it was it was quite amazing. Um, but then I began to think, I began to think, um, okay, so now what am I going to do? I mean, what is being a father all about? I mean, this is, this is, some, this is a big deal. Um, how am I going to do it? How am I going to be a daddy? How am I going to be a father? Well, I'm still trying to figure that out, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I'm still working it out. But I found encouragement this week. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible um, it gives us an answer for what it means to, be, to have a father's calling, um, to, to uh, respond to those questions um, and actually get an answer. And that's what we find here in Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. So this passage is for all of us. It's for men, women, and children. It's for every single one of us. But today, um, being Father's Day, uh, we're going to kind of look at it through the eyes of a father. We're going to look at a father's calling. So would you read with me Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Follow with me as I read aloud. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, as we look more closely at this passage today, 
um, that you have for us, that you want to speak to us. God, I ask that you will help us in our understanding, that you will help us to have a humility uh, of spirit um, as we listen to the word, as we hear the message. And Father, I pray that you will then give us the, the, the power, the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in it, to obey, to live according to the way that you would have us to live. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, first of all, we're just going to walk right through these few verses, and I want to share various insights related to what it, what it means for us as fathers, but then all of you as well, women, um, children, to respond to it in the same sort of way, but, but the first insight that we have here in verse uh, 4 is that a father's calling, a father's calling is to make God his sole object of worship and affection. That's a long statement. I'm going to help you out. It's going to be on your screen in just a second. There you go. A father's calling is to make God his sole object of worship and affection. Look at, those, look at that verse with me one more time. Verse 4. It starts with this. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The word hear um, is a Hebrew word called, uh, or that is Shema. Uh, this word, Shema, in fact, um, is... Uh, kind of the designation for this entire passage of Scripture. Um, these few verses, and, and uh, the Israelites would, uh, a tradition, um, uh, the, the, the tradition became that they would use this prayer, use, or use these verses as a prayer that they would recite day after day after day. It was a daily practice to remember the Shema, the, the hear, O Israel, and we could translate it probably a little more effectively in English as, listen up, pay attention to this. That's what it meant. Hear, O Israel, listen to this. This is important. Pay attention to this. And then, four words. Four words in the Hebrew language and about eight in ours. That's okay. We'll go with it. We'll work with it. But the words were, the Lord, or Yahweh, our God, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh, the Lord, is one. In English again, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The four words are Yahweh, God, Yahweh, and one. These, this is the basis for what is to come after that. Um, we don't love God until we know who He is. We don't obey God until we recognize that, his, that He is the one God. See, um, the, Moses is, is speaking these words to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And just before this, we, if we turn back to Deuteronomy 5, he's repeating the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments that were given to Israel by God in the wilderness at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, they're repeated again. And the first two commandments are set up with this phrase in verse 6 of chapter 5. I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The commandments begin with a statement of God is God. He is Yahweh, the I Am. And then he goes on from there and he says, based on that, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image, a carved image, a likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth below, that is in the water under the earth. Don't bow down to them or serve them. So the first two commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And the second, you shall not make yourself an idol, an image to worship it, rather you worship me. It's reflected here in the Shema of verse 4 of chapter 6 that we're looking at today. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is not one of many gods. We serve one God. He's not absent from us. He is present. He has given us uh, His name, Yahweh. I thought about this. Um, <laughs> As I was kind of as I was studying this passage and reflecting on it, and how this contrasts drastically with what the what the people in the ancient Near East believed. They believed that there was a God behind everything. They believed that there was a God that controlled the sun, or a God that controlled um, fertility, a God that controlled um, the 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 harvest, the, a God that controlled the air and the and the water, and the mountains, and the, the animals. Uh, there is a God for everything. And if you were to, to embrace that, seeking an explanation for everything, um, and, and if you were to, to, to just run with that, that pattern, you would end up with millions of gods. Like, uh, like millions of people in India and other places do, and worshipping gods that that they, they just run out of room to list all of the gods, millions and millions of gods that, that they believe in. Um, why, why then would we have a culture, uh, a history in, in, oh say, in uh, Western culture of monotheism? There's only one explanation for why we would come to believe that there's one God who controls everything, who's behind everything, and that is if that God revealed Himself to people. And He did. He revealed Himself to a man named Abraham. And then He revealed Himself to Abraham's sons and the generations after them. And He revealed Himself to Moses and the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. And He repeats it here. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. What happens when we don't have God as our sole object of worship and affection? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. I was talking with a man um, this past week who when he was young, he had walked away from God. He had lived his own life. He had kind of gone his own way, so to speak. And he was, he was talking to me a couple weeks ago um, how broken his experience was. Because he had, he had turned to something outside of God. He had turned to his experiences with other women. Instead of God. And he said, I don't know what to do. 
I mess, I've made a mess of my life. I've, I've really screwed things up. And I feel like God is telling me, come back to Him. Turn back to Him. I couldn't help but think of this when, as I looked at this passage, that he had failed to keep the Lord as one, to keep God as his sole object of worship and affection, and how damaging that was to not only his own life, but to the lives of people around him. Question for you. Are there things in your life that are displacing God as your sole object of worship and affection. And it starts there, really. It starts there. It's not so much about our love, our obedience, our etc., etc. It really starts with God. Is God the Lord our God? Is He your God? Is He your sole object of worship and affection? God will give all things to us in time. All of our relationships that we value, all of, of, all of the parts of life that we value will come out from that, that worship and affection of God. He will give them to us. Look what, look what it leads to. It leads very naturally into the next observation that I have for us today. And that is that a father's calling is to love God completely and without reservation. To love God completely and without reservation. Look with me at verse 5. This, this verse should sound somewhat familiar. And you heard actually Cheryl read a New Testament restatement of it by Jesus himself earlier in our worship gathering. And it's this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, we could pick those three things apart a little bit if, if you want and talk about the heart and what it meant for the, the Hebrew um, mindset and the, the ancient Israelites. And they looked at the heart as the place where, the, where not just the emotions were, although that was included in it, but they thought of every aspect of the inner um, thoughts. The mind, the will, and the emotions were all kind of wrapped up into this view of, and this idea of the heart. To love God with all your heart would mean that you love God in your thought life. That you love God by your will that God has given us. Our wills are very strong. The human will is very strong, is it not? We can push ourselves beyond limits. And, and God is, is reminding us through these verses that our hearts are very important. That we ought to love God with our thoughts, with our emotions, and, and feel God, and, and desire God, and with our wills working towards God. And then the, the soul. The soul for the Hebrews was, was this, this idea of the place where life came from. Um, vitality, so to speak, or it was the core of one's being. So when we talked about the soul in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, it was that thing that was the source of life. And so what do we do to love God with our whole soul? Well, our life is wrapped up in God. Our life is all about 
uh, loving Him. If our life, if our vitality, if the core of who we are is, uh, is towards God, we are loving God with our soul. Well, then, then He gets to the might. And we could say that the might is, is really more of the physical aspect of, of a person. It was actually represented their physical strength or maybe their energy to do things. Um, that's a little twist on it that I'm giving you that kind of, uh, it's my interpretation of it. So you can, check the, you can check the scholars to see if I'm accurate. But all of these things, the, all of these things, the, the heart, the soul, the might, um, they all encompass every aspect of a person's life. That's why, that's why I summed it up by saying we are to love God completely. Completely. And without reservation. You can, um, you can often tell what a person loves, can't you? You talk with them for a while, you spend some time with them for a while, and you observe that person, you observe what, you observe what they do, their patterns and their habits. Ask yourself the question, what do I give myself to completely? Wholeheartedly, with my whole heart, with my with all my soul, with, with all of the energy and the strength and the might that I have, what is it that I give myself to completely? That's probably the thing that you love. <laughs> so the question for us as we look at this and we contemplate a, a father's calling to love God completely and without reservation, um, we ought to ask ourselves the question, what are we keeping back from God? What are we holding in reserve? In places in our heart? In times of the day? In certain um, uh, areas of life? I was talking with, um, with a brother a few weeks ago who said to me, <clears throat> and we were talking about work and we were talking about the various struggles and, and things like that. And, um, and, he, and he said to me, gosh, I... I, I, maybe I'm not um, praying about my job and thinking about my work in, in terms of loving God through it as I should. Um, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to get the promotion. I'm trying to, you know, uh, be a good worker. But I often don't pray for God to be behind it, for God to work in it. Uh, maybe that's a maybe that's a scenario that you're in. Um, maybe I keep my work back from God. Maybe I keep certain relationships back from God. Maybe I I keep uh, certain parts of my heart or my mind back from God. What is preventing you from loving God completely? What is it? Let God know, and and ask Him to change that area of your life. A father's calling is to make God his sole object of worship and affection, to love God completely and without reservation, and that leads right into the next, uh, the next section here, uh, the next observation, and that is that a father's calling is to obey God from the heart. So, 
That sounds very similar to love God with all your heart. But look at verse 6 with me. He says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These words. Uh, the these words was taken very um, uh, contextually by uh, the Israelites after this time to mean this passage of Scripture, the Shema. And so, so what they would do is they, they made that a part of their daily prayers. They made that a part of their daily experience. They wanted to apply these particular words, verses 4 to 9, to their life and have that with them always. But they, the, the, the idea or these, these words um, also encompass all of the commandments that God has given, especially the Ten Commandments. Did you know, though, that the, the Ten Commandments are actually, literally, ten words? Uh, that's the word behind it, and we translate it as commandment because that's what they were, but the Ten Commandments are, were really ten words or ten sayings. Um, and I think that what God is trying to say through Moses in verse 6, when He says, in these words, He's not just saying, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. But He's saying these words, these commandments that, that I restated to you in Deuteronomy 5, these ten words, ten commandments, you need to uh, listen to them. You need to meditate on them. You need to memorize them. They need to be on your heart. On your heart. Not simply written on tablets of stone. Not simply written on a scroll that we unroll at special times of the week or the year. Not just written and bound in a book. <clears throat> the Bible that we have access to anytime, not just available to us on our devices. I've got Bibles coming out my ears. I've got more Bibles than I know what to do with. That's not what he meant. He meant for the God's Word to be on our hearts. <laughs> not just on our shelves. Or not just in our backpacks. Or not just on our devices. What would that look like? What would that look like for God's Word to be on our heart? Or maybe a better way to think about it, or maybe in a, a more Western, modern uh, way to think about it, is inside of us. What would it be like to have God's Word inside of us? A couple of passages from the Psalms should help us with this. Psalm 119.11 Your Word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It talks about the Word the, these words, uh, the Word of God, what He has spoken and what He has revealed, in my heart. I have hid it in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, that's really a, ca a, a, a case for or um, an argument for memorizing God's Word. To have it in your heart. Once again, remember that heart is not just emotions. When, when the Israelites, so when the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament talks about heart, it's talking about the mind as well. So when we hide God's Word in our heart, when we have His words on our hearts, they're there in our thoughts, in our mind, meditating on them, memorizing them. Psalm 1-2, but 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. Having God's Word in our minds, having God's Word access to us, because there will be that time when you're having a conversation with somebody and your Bible is not handy um, and your it'll take too long to get pull it up on your device or maybe if you're lucky and disciplined you left your phone somewhere else and it's not within arm's reach at all times. But there will come a time when somebody you'll be in a conversation with somebody like happened multiple times these past few weeks where I had to rely on what was hidden in my heart what was in my mind to encourage somebody, to share good news with somebody, to challenge myself to obey. God's Word in our heart memorized, meditates. Are you, are you meditating on God's Word? With not just the intent to say, hey, check it out, Pastor. I memorized the verse of the week this week. I'm doing pretty good. What do I get for that? Candy bar? Um, do I get uh, like a week off from tithing or I mean, something like that? I don't know. I'm just kidding. No, you don't get a week off from tithing. Um, no, but seriously, are you meditating on God's Word with the intent to obey it? That's the question. Meditating on God's Word with the intent to obey it and to apply it to every area of your life possible. Right? Are you doing that? Father's calling is to obey God from the heart. Well, that leads right into the, the next observation over the next few verses. A father's calling is to make God's Word central in his life and home. To make God's Word central in his life and home. Look at what the command uh, is, the commands are beginning with verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I'd love to be able, I'd love to break down and just uh, turn verse 7 into its own message. I'll try not to do that. But see what is, see these commands with me. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them or about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them, bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so some of this might take a little bit of explaining. Teaching we can understand. So we can teach God's Word to the others. Um, mainly to our children. Why was that a big deal for the Israelites? It was because within one generation, um, the worship of God could die out just like that. Just like that. If, if parents didn't teach their children the ways of the Lord, if the, if the parents didn't teach their children to love God, heart, soul, might, to obey with their whole heart, to hide God's Word in their heart, one generation later, they would abandon God. It happened many times in, throughout Israel's history. Many times. Um, to, to be able to have that generational faith, they, they needed to teach their children. 
They needed to, and, and may you could say that this is one of the ways that they did it. They talked about them. They talked about it when they were coming and going. They talked about it morning and night. In other words, the God, the, the, God's Word was central to their lives. It was central in their home. It was always a part of them. In fact, they, they took this verse 8 quite literally. In later years, they literally bound God's Word, these this, this passage right here, the Shema, they wrote it on a tiny little scroll, they rolled it up, and they placed it in tiny little boxes that they put on their wrists. And then they put on their foreheads, called phylacteries. Jesus had some words to say about phylacteries. Oh, you make your phylacteries very ostentatious. They're very large. They're very easily observed because then everybody knows that you have obeyed this command. But yet, you don't love God. Not really. You're just doing that to impress people. Well, regardless of the abuses of it, they, some of them took it literally because they really wanted to obey God's Word. They really wanted to have it with them. And so, they would do that and they would wear those on Sabbath days when they were at the synagogue, or they would wear those on other special days, uh, as a reminder of God's Word is central to our lives. It's central to our homes. And they would even write them on their doorposts, on their house and on their gates. Well, you've probably walked into some folks' houses and you've seen a, you know, a passage of Scripture um, on somebody's wall or in a frame or, you know, something like that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord or something to that effect. And maybe that's a modern way of where we can make God's Word a part of our lives, a central part of our lives, observed easily by all who enter. They'll see God's Word. We have a chalkboard wall. Um, there's a verse on that wall that's been there for about three months. Um, but it reminds us, at least even though it hasn't been updated for a while, it's still there, and every time we walk in and out of our kitchen, I see that verse. And I'm reminded that, at least in principle, and at least um, as a, something to aspire to, God's Word is central in our hearts and our homes. I was wondering about, um, thinking about things that my father passed on to me, the things that were central in our lives and in our home growing up, and the things that I learned. You can think, I'm sure, about this. Um, what, did, what did your father, what did your dad pass on to you? Um, what did you learn from him? Uh, some, some people um, learn negative things from their father. Um, because their father was always a certain way. And so they learned to be that way too. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm diming anybody out um, by saying something that my father would probably say right here if he was here. And he'd say, there are things that I did that I passed on to my, my sons that I'm not proud of. There are things that I've done that I'm passing on to my girls that I'm not proud of because I happen to be, always be a certain way. And then there are those things that we're passionate about. 
that we really care about, that we really focus our lives and attention on. <laughs> In a small way, here's a small way, oh, certain kind of movies that we like to watch. And so when my girls say, Dad, Mom, let's watch The Lord of the Rings this weekend. And they're like, I'm thinking, they never saw that in the theaters. They didn't experience it like that. How did they come to love watching those particular movies? Because we loved them. Because we talked about them. Because we enjoy them. Because we were passionate about them. And so they picked up on that. And that became something that they loved. It's the same thing with sports teams, kind, the kinds of cars you drive, the kinds of clothes you wear, or the kinds of activities you participate in. My father, um, uh, I'm very blessed by this, uh, my father um, was passionate about um, God's Word, and he was passionate about the church. And so I grew up wanting to know God's Word, wanting to read it, wanting to memorize it, uh, wanting to be in church. Well, not all the time, but for the most part, developing a love for God and a love for His church. That was something that He passed on to me because it was central in our life and in our home. Have you made God and His Word central to your life and central to your home? Here's some suggestions. Some, some, some suggestions that you could, you could do to, to, to make that happen and, and uh, so try some of these out maybe. Uh, how about this? Read the Bible <laughs> with your family or read the Bible with your children. Uh, when, I, when I was very young, I, I remember just reading Bible storybooks, um, little devotional books that had a, had a verse or a passage from the Bible or, or summarizations of some of the stories of the Bible. We, we, uh, we love, the River Church, uh, the, sto the Jesus Storybook Bible. We've got them on the, out on the table out there. We're like, families, take them. Read those Bibles to your young kids. It's beautiful artwork, beautiful pictures, and beautiful stories that remind us of how Jesus is the, the hero of all of the stories of the Bible. How about this, another suggestion? Pray together. Pray for your wife. Pray for your children. When was the last time you asked your spouse, this could go for, for uh, you ladies too, or your, your, your family member, ask your spouse or your family members, how can I pray for you? Hmm. Have you asked your children that recently? How can I pray for you? Maddie, how can I pray for you? Isabella, what's on your heart? What can I, how can I encourage you in that? Have you prayed together like that? Do it. Make it a habit. Pray together daily. How about this? Share testimonies. We have a habit as a family, and we've, we started this a while back, but every time we gather around the dinner table, we would, be, we would share highlights of the day. Okay, what's your, what are your highlights of the day? And recently, um, and I, I have to give credit to my wife for this, she began to say, well, let's share blessings. <laughs> share a blessing from the day, a way that God has blessed you. So we call that a testimony. 
We do that every Sunday when we gather together. What if that was a part of our family? Where we shared those testimonies with each other on a regular basis. When we had breakfast together. When we were in the car moving from place to place. When we had dinner together in the evening. Before bedtime. What if we confessed our sin to one another? And said, Honey, I've sinned in this way. Or, um, My girls... I've sinned against you in this way. Will you forgive me? What if we talked about God's grace more often and how it affected every area of our life? How can we make God's Word central in our lives and in our homes? Well, we kind of run out of verses here, but I want to draw your attention to one other thing because you might be asking the question, okay, that's great. Make God... Um, our focus. He, he's one. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Um, okay, love God with our heart, our mind, uh, or excuse me, our soul and our might. Um, okay, obey God from the heart. Okay, um, make God's word central in our lives and in our homes. But why? What's the benefit to me? Things seem to be going okay. <laughs> Roll back just a few verses with me. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Just a couple of phrases. He said, <clears throat> he referred to the commandments, the statutes, the rules. Um, he said in verse 2, look at the very last phrase of verse 2. He gives all these commands that your day or your days may be long. That means long life. Live a, a long, good life. And that means that generations after you continue to live long lives. And then in verse 3, he says, Hear therefore, same word as verse 4, O Israel, and be careful to do them. Obey these commandments. Keep these commandments. Do them. Right? Because, or in order that, it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so be careful not to take these as, as um, hard and fast promises for your life. As long as I obey God and I love Him with my heart and my soul and my might, I'm going to live a long life because who knows, our lives may, be, may end today in a, in a blink of an eye. But what God is saying here was something that the Israelites needed to hear. In their culture, in their time, in their place, they needed to know that, know that God was looking out for their best interests. That God had a plan for them. That God had purposes for them. And they called that shalom. In Hebrew, the word shalom. We translate it oftentimes as peace. But it really meant a lot more than peace. It meant a lot more like well-being, welfare, success, prosperity, abundant life. And that's why a father's calling is to experience and pass on the abundant life found only in God. When we make God our one and only, when we love Him, when we obey Him, when we make God's Word central in our lives and home, we are on our journey to the abundant life that's only found in God. It will not be found in money 
or sex or success or any other kinds of accomplishments. It will be found in God. He promises that abundant life. He gave that to Israel. That was part of their covenant. Joshua 1.7 says this, <clears throat> that you may have good success wherever you go. Next screen, Joshua 1.7, that you may have good success wherever you go. This was a promise God made to Joshua. Uh, not long after the events of Deuteronomy 6, when Moses had died and Joshua was, was taking the people into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he said, woe is me, this is a big job, how am I going to do this? And so God said to him, obey my commandments, be, be courageous, obey the law, study it, write it down that you may have good success wherever you go. And, and a few verses later, he said, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Good success is the presence of God in our lives. That's what it is. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, plans, plans for welfare and not for evil. Those are the plans that God had for His people. When they were in exile, plans for welfare, shalom, peace, well-being, and not for evil, not for calamity, not for disaster. And then, just within a few verses of that, He said this, You will seek Me and find Me. What is welfare for a believer? What is, what is success for a believer? It is God Himself. It's God's presence. It's seeking Him and finding Him. And then, in John chapter 10, Jesus said this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. I, oftentimes we, we read John 10.10 10 and we're, what is this abundant life? What does this mean? Does it mean we'll have... Uh, uh, money, that will have really good jobs, that will have nice cars, that will have beautiful homes, that will have success in our businesses, that we will, everything we put our hand to will work out well. No, He meant that, he will, that we will have Him through everything. Because later on in the, in the book of John, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he said this later, later even from that in John 14, we will come to Him and make our home with Him. Who? Who's he talking about? We is the Father and the Son. We will come to Him. Who is Him? Him is the one who is obeying Jesus' commandments. The one who is seeking Him with his whole, their whole heart. The one who loves Him. The one who has made God their one and only. We will come to Him and make our home with Him. What is this abundant life? It's Jesus. It's Jesus Himself. It's Jesus Himself. Because a Father's calling is to keep His eyes on Jesus. Jesus, who always had the Father as His sole object of worship and affection. Jesus, who loved God with everything, in everything, holy and without reservation. Jesus, who obeyed God the Father from the heart. Jesus, who taught His disciples God's Word and made it central to His life and His home. Jesus, 
who loved us before we loved Him. And that's what John said in 1 John 4, verse 19. He said this, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. We, we are wondering how can we love God with our whole heart and our soul and our might is because He loved us first. How did He love us first? Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows His love to us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And guess what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39 That's a promise. That's a promise right there. We may go through height. We may go through depth. We may go through suffering. We may go through uh, success. We may go through calamity. We may go through blessing. We may go through all of these experiences of life because that's just what life is all about. In fact, that's what Jesus went through. He had good times. He had success. And He had really, really bad times. We'll go through that too. But in it all... God will come to us, make our home with us through Jesus. We will have abundance, life, abundant life, and that abundance that's found only in God through Jesus because of what He has done for us. What has God been speaking to your hearts about today? What do you need to change? What do you need to, to release to God? What do you need to, as the Bible uses the term, repent of? That means just to say, this part of my life is not working. I need to give it over to God and I need to turn towards His plans and His purposes for that part of my life. Or maybe there are people around you, like there are for me, all over, who need to hear a message like this. Need to hear that encouragement. Need to hear that God is God that He is one, that He has a life planned for us that's more abundant than we could ever work out for ourselves. Maybe there are people around you who need to hear that message, if nothing else. Let's pray.